Amen. Thank you. All right, once you turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah 39, um, Steve, uh, did you want to share kind of what's going on with you? We've been praying for Steve uh, for a little while for some health things that have going, has been going on with him, so... Praise the Lord. How much anybody knows of my journey since last year when it started, um, but through prayer and God's hand, and I'm absolutely certain in God's hand, yep. things moved really fast through the University of Washington when I got plugged in my second go. Yep. And, yep. Um, it's, it's, we've been praying for, for you, and, and we've seen it's been step by step, the Lord answering prayer. what it was, mm-hmm. and it wasn't working good. Yep. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. And prayer is important, you guys. Um, we, we've talked about it just in our last prayer meeting we had, but um, on Sunday nights, just how important it is, how much we've seen in that little prayer group. And I think those of you maybe who don't even attend that, you can attest to the Lord answering prayer in your own life as well. But we have we have an added blessing in that prayer group where we get to see, I mean, years. Some of us have been in there for years and seen the Lord over time. Sometimes it's taken years, but we've seen the Lord answering prayers. And that's the God that we serve and um, how important it is for us to trust in Him. So, uh, Jeremiah 39 says, verse 1, in the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and besieged it. In the eleventh year of Zedekiah, in the fourth month, on the ninth day of the month, the city was penetrated. Then all the princes of the king of Babylon came in and sat in the middle gate, uh, Nergal, Sherezer, Samgar, Nebo, Sarsikim, uh, Rabsaris, Nergal, Sarezer, Rabnamag, they have some funny names there, um, with the rest of the princes of the king of Babylon. So it was when Zedekiah the king of Judah and all the men of war saw them that they fled and went out of the city by night by way of the king's garden by the gate between the two walls and he went out by way of the plain. But the Chaldean army pursued them and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. And when they had captured him, they brought him up to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to Riblah in the land of Hamath, where he pronounced judgment on him. Then the king of Babylon killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes in Riblah. The king of Babylon also killed all the nobles of Judah. Moreover, he put out Zedekiah's eyes and bound him with bronze fetters to carry him off to Babylon. And the Chaldeans burned the king's house and the houses of the people with fire and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. 
Then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away captive to Babylon the remnant of the people who remained in the city and those who defected to him with the rest of the people who remained. But Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, left in the land of Judah the poor people who had nothing and gave them vineyards and fields at the same time. So let's pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you as always for your word, Lord. We thank you for being able to gather together as a body of believers and to spend some time studying, looking at uh, what your word has to say, Lord, gathering together for worship and prayer together, fellowship. Um, We thank you for this building and uh, just uh, what you've given us, Lord. We thank you so much for that. We thank you for these things that we're reading here uh, tonight, Lord, uh, as they are written for our example, Lord. And we pray that we would learn from these things, that you, by your Spirit, would teach us. Speak to our hearts individually, personally, Lord, uh, to each and every one of us, that we might go from here with something that we say, yes, Lord, I'm going to obey you in that thing, Lord. I pray that you would do that tonight in your name. Amen. Amen. So, Jerusalem falls. The Lord uh, had been prophesying this, right, through Jeremiah that Jerusalem was going to fall. Um, one thing to note here as we read this, it's a, it's a sad thing. Um, we're not going to go into it tonight, um, but I'd encourage you guys, since we're in this portion here um, tonight, maybe over the next couple of days, to go home and read the book of Lamentations. It's just a few chapters. Um, but it really, it's Jeremiah and the Lord really lamenting over what took place in Jerusalem. And to see the things that went on. And that will get kind of the picture in your mind of really what's happening. And, and the situation there. And the seriousness of, of everything that went on. And, and the Lord's judgment on a people that just simply would not listen to him. Um, did not obey. Would not listen. The other side of this too. As we've been going through Jeremiah. We've seen the whole time. There have been prophecies that this was going to happen. The Lord knew where it would end up eventually. Uh, He knew how the kings would play out. He knew the ones that would listen to him in certain things and the ones that would just completely disregard him. He knew what Jeremiah was going to go through. He knew what the king of Babylon was going to do when he got there. He knew all of those things because he's God, and he declared them that it was going to happen. And yet, throughout the whole time, what did he do to the people and to the kings through Jeremiah? He said, repent. If you repent... If you listen, if you submit to this judgment that's coming, you'll be safe. The city won't be burned with fire. The walls won't be burned down. Your family will live. Your people will live. Yes, you'll go into captivity, but you'll be safe. Your lives will be spared. The whole time when judgment was coming and this hammer was about to fall, the entire time, that's the Lord's grace continuously in his mercy calling out to the people, repent. Repent, judgment's coming, but repent. If you only repent, repent. And that's what the Lord continually called out to his people. He loves them. He knew where they would end up, and thankfully he had a plan to get them through. And there were some that did repent. We see that there are some that defected, as we read, some that went out to the Chaldeans, and they went to them, and their lives were spared. They went with the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, to Babylon, and they lived there. Um, and uh, the Lord uh, 
protected them, the Lord blessed them, and the Lord, 70 years later, like he promised, brought them back. But judgment came, just like the Lord prophesied. Turn over to Ezekiel chapter 12. So this is Ezekiel. And the Lord is calling Ezekiel as a prophet around the same time as Jeremiah. Um, and this, in, that, in fact, this portion we're reading is before the things that we're reading about. Uh, but he says, verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house, which has eyes to see, but does not hear, uh, see, and ears to hear, but does not hear, for they are a rebellious house. Therefore, son of man, prepare your belongings for captivity, and go into captivity by day in their sight. You shall go from your place, his home, into captivity, so just another place that was his mock captivity, to another place in their sight. It may be that they will consider though they are a rebellious house. By day you shall bring out your belongings in their sight, as though going into captivity, getting ready to move, everything going with him. And at evening you shall go in their sight, like those who go into captivity. Dig through the wall in their sight, and carry your belongings out through it. In their sight you shall bear them on your shoulders, and carry them out at twilight. You shall cover your face, so that you cannot see the ground, for I have made you a sign to the house of Israel. So I did as I was commanded. I brought out my belongings by day, as though going into captivity, and at evening I dug through the wall with my hand. I brought them out at twilight, and I bore them on my shoulder in their sight. And in the morning the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, has not the house of Israel, the rebellious house, said to you, What are you doing? Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, this burden concerns the prince in Jerusalem, Zedekiah, um, and all the house of Israel who are among them. Say, I am assigned to you. As I have done, so shall it be done to them. And they shall be carried away into captivity. And the prince who is among them shall bear his belongings on his shoulder at twilight and go out. They shall dig through the wall to carry them out through it. He shall cover his face so that he cannot see the ground with his eyes. I will also spread my net over him, and he shall be caught in my snare. I will bring him to Babylon, to the land of the Chaldeans, yet he shall not see it, though he shall die there. I will scatter to every wind all who are around him to help him, and all his troops, and I will draw out the sword after them. And then he goes on to continue to talk about the judgment. Do you think the people there who are hearing and speaking with Ezekiel as they see this strange thing that he's doing. So he's basically un, you know, packing his house, bringing all his belongings out, and then going somewhere over and over, and then eventually taking his belongings and digging under the wall at nighttime and going out with his face covered and uh, going out the wall as he's telling them what this is all about. Do you think they wondered what he says when he says, when the Lord says, uh, I will bring him to Babylon, to the land, speaking of Zedekiah of the Chaldeans, yet he shall not see it, though he shall die there. How does that work? You know, here's a prophecy with details on it. 
he's going to go to this land, but he's not going to see it. What does that mean? That's a contradiction. Well, we just read the fulfillment in Jeremiah. He's going to captivity, but he's going to go blind. Detailed down to the, uh, <laughs> the exact thing that the Lord said happened with Zedekiah. He tried to escape at nighttime, taking his belongings out, going through a hole in the wall of Jerusalem, fleeing. But as Ezekiel said, the Lord spread a net for him. And he did not escape. And he ended up blind um, before he goes to Babylon, where he does eventually die. Go back to Jeremiah. You know, the Lord, he prophesies and he gives, again, all of these warnings. And these things they fulfill literally. And down to finest details. Um, We've talked about it before, but we have all of these prophecies that we have not yet seen fulfilled. That uh, talk of things that will happen in the end times. Things that are coming shortly, I believe. Um, We have the rapture of the church. We have the seven-year tribulation. We have the uh, judgment on the nations. We have the millennial kingdom. And there are details in there, I think, that maybe we even miss that they're details because we don't see them now. But there's going to be all of these fulfillments where, where we, right now, we might say, oh, yeah, it's kind of symbolic what's going to happen there. Or maybe there's just this, you know, speaking kind of vaguely about it. But I think the more we get closer and closer, the more we see. And as these prophecies are fulfilled, we're, we're going to be able to see from heaven. Um, we're going to be able to see them fulfilled literally in these small, fine little details. And the Lord is just, um, you know, confirming over and over again his sovereignty, who he is, creator of the universe, controller of things, the one who uh, holds all things together by his word, um, by the words of his mouth, and uh, just how beautiful that is. And as we see these detailed fulfillments of Old Testament prophecy, it should stir up in us a trust in him. His word is going to come to pass. You know, it, it's, it's a trust and a faith in him that he was faithful in these things. He's going to be faithful in the future in these other things. We may not know, may not understand, may not fully comprehend what those things are going to be and what it's going to be like, but we can trust him for those things and for that fulfillment. And that should build our faith. That's why it's so important for us to be in the word. We're not going to know these examples. We're not going to be able to see his faithfulness. We're not going to be able to experience along with the people that we're reading about how God works unless we're in his word. And that's what he's given us to teach us, to to encourage us, to stir us up, to see these things. We have to remember as we're reading books like Jeremiah and these other history books and all of the scriptures really that these are real normal people that God's dealing with. They have their lives, they have their emotions, they have their backgrounds and their different relationships. They're people just like us. And the Lord is working and the Lord is calling to them and the Lord is commanding them to be obedient, giving them chances for obedience, uh, sending judgment when there's disobedience. And the Lord deals with us in the same way. Thankfully, uh, we have Jesus We're on the other side of the cross, right, where we have forgiveness, we have his grace. We live in this time of mercy and grace that the Lord has given to us um, and everything. But at the same time, he's he's the same God and he deals with us and and he, he works with us in our lives. And we need to be open and listening for those things. That's the whole point that we see of Jeremiah for us is that judgment is coming. We live in a world that's just on the doorstep of the things that has happened to Jerusalem. 
Um, we're not uh, the nation of God like Israel was here in America. But at the same time, we've been given a lot of responsibility. We've been given a lot of blessings that God has given us, a lot of freedoms, a lot of things in the church that we have been given, and, and we tend to take for granted. And yet we can see the world around us and the nation around us that judgment is coming. We see uh, the things happening with our children, uh, all the transgender stuff, all the agenda for that that has been uh, going on for a long time. The whole homosexual agenda, um, really back the civil rights movement and even before that um, in the 60s, this agenda to take down, to destroy the family, um, to, to uh, Satan's attack against an institution that God established, how a home should be, uh, mother and father and children loving one another, um, the, the sexual relationship that God designed from the very beginning with Adam and Eve all the way through, Satan's attack on all of those things. And America and the Western society, and it's not just us, it's other nations as well, but um, has bought into the lies and is, is continuing to go in and saying, uh, listening to Satan who said, has God really said? Has God really said marriage is between one man and one woman for life? Has God really said that it's a male and a female, that I've created them man and woman, I've created them? Has God really said that I've created the whole earth uh, in seven days' time, the universe that existed? Has God really said? And Satan has been questioning all of these things established, and we've seen um, throughout history this slow roll of compromise of truth. And it's taken place in the church, taken place in Christian homes, Christian schools, Christian universities, uh, uh, as well as in our culture and society, buying into the lies of Satan and saying, I'm not sure that God really said that, questioning his word and the things that are there. And I think, uh, I can't say 100% for sure what it is or how it's going to fall besides what the Bible says, but judgment, we're, we're experiencing the judgment of God with the things that are happening in our nation. I, I'm, I'm fairly certain of that. We know, of course, Romans talks about God's judgment and his wrath already being revealed, right, because of unrighteousness. Dan's talked about it recently, how we're already under the wrath of God, under his judgment before we've placed our faith in him. But at the same time, we do see this, this uh, uh, the Lord requiring people to be responsible with what they know and what they've heard. We've had a nation over the years that has heard, in general terms at least, the word of God. I mean, we celebrate Christmas and Easter in our nation that, from our perspective, are, are supposed to remind us of, about Jesus and the things that he's done and God and who he is. Um, and we have all of these things. We have Saturday <laughs> as a weekend rest day in our nation. Why is that? Well, because God created the earth in seven days, in six days, and on the seventh day he rested, right? We have all of these things that the Lord has put in place for the people in our age and culture and society to know who he is and his character. Paul talks about in Romans that he, his, the attributes are clearly seen in nature around us. So God's declaring himself all the time in multitudes of ways. Of course, we have the Bible in our own language all around us, 
few clicks on a keyboard and you're at a Bible with, you know, a Bible software program with 30, 40 different versions of the Bible, with uh, thousands of years of scholarship around the original languages that people had to go to a lifetime worth of schooling to have access to in the past. Uh, we have uh, teachings of biblical godly men, uh, pastors, uh, and, and books, and, and, and faithful women in ministry as well. All of these things at our fingertips that are out there for us to know. With the, the overabundance of knowledge, we have an overabundance of responsibility. And uh, God will hold us accountable. He holds us accountable. And he will hold our nation accountable. And as we are on the doorstep of judgment, as we're on the doorstep of the things that the book of Revelation talks about, and maybe if that doesn't come, we're at least on the doorstep of all the things and experiencing all the things Paul talks about in Romans 1, right? Where a society, a people is given over, and the things that they're given over to is what they wanted in the first place, but it gets worse and worse and worse to where no longer can they even really hear the Lord. Uh, and, and we see that, that progression. That's where we're at now. We're on the doorstep. And we as Christians, as believers, we have the utmost highest responsibility, number one, to not compromise on truth, to stand firm on truth to walk with him. You know, we looked at Zedekiah last week. Zedekiah, he was a weak king. We talked about it. He kind of played with these ideas of good things that he wanted. Um, and, you know, he, he, would, he, he liked Jeremiah, um, though he, didn't, he, was, he was a very poor friend. <laughs> he really liked Jeremiah because he allowed him to be thrown in prison, um, allowed him to be thrown into a, a cistern, um, and uh, basically was afraid of men, you know, Psalm 118. It's better the, to trust in the Lord than to fear man. Um, or the fear of the Lord, I forget how it's worded. You know what I'm saying. Um, but Zedekiah, he, uh, he had every opportunity. You remember last week when... Uh, Jeremiah was thrown in the cistern by Zedekiah's um, kind of court there. Look at chapter 38. He's thrown in there because here's this group of men who want to mount this last final resistance against the king of Babylon, against Nebuchadnezzar. They want to take their final patriotic, uh, valorous, courageous stand uh, against him. And here's Jeremiah saying, you're going to be given over. Surrender to them. Don't, don't fight. Surrender. And so they want to throw him in a prison, and they do that. They cast him into the dungeon, into this pit where there's mire down in the bottom. And Jeremiah sinks into this mire. But uh, Zedekiah, you know, after uh, Ebed-Melech, which we'll get back to him, uh, is faithfully listening to the Lord. And after he goes and intercedes on Jeremiah's behalf and Zedekiah, you know, rescues Jeremiah when he put him there in the first place, uh, he calls Jeremiah secretly, this kind of secret counsel to him. And, and he asks him, 
uh, I'll ask you something. Hide nothing from me. Verse 14, it says, And Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, If I declare it to you, will you not surely put me to death? And if I give you advice, will you not listen to me? So Zedekiah the king swore secretly to Jeremiah, saying, As the Lord lives who made our very souls, I will not put you to death, nor will I give you into the hand of these men who seek your life. Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, again, remember the timing here, Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, If you surely surrender to the king of Babylon's princes, then, here's what hangs in the balance, your soul shall live, this city shall not be burned with fire, and you and your house shall live. All of those things rested on what Zedekiah did at that point. But if you do not surrender to the king of Babylon's princes, then this city shall be given into the hand of the Chaldeans. They shall burn it with fire, and you shall not escape from their hand. And then we see what we read in chapter 39. Zedekiah didn't listen. He had that choice. Think of it. If Zedekiah had chosen as the king, as a leader, God had had put him in that place of authority and responsibility. If Zedekiah at that very last hour had listened to Jeremiah, the city would not have been burned, as the Lord said. His sons would not have been killed before his very eyes. He would have gone into Babylon (laughs) with his vision intact. Uh, His household, the people of his house would have gone. The rulers with him, they would have lived and gone with him if he had made that choice. You guys, we are not kings. We may not be in those places of authority, but the Lord sets before us every day decisions to be faithful to him, to respond to him, to choose what the right things are to do. And there are consequences when we don't choose what's right. It may not be your entire city burning down, but who knows, maybe it's something like that. It may not be your children dying before your very eyes, but who knows? Maybe a a choice that you make has those kinds of consequences. We don't know. But we do know God calls us to account for those things and wants us to be obedient to him. Sometimes, uh, I I might be weird in this, but sometimes I'm kind of struck by this idea of me being this small individual playing in God's universe and what he's done. Not that playing like I'm just fooling around in it, but just meaning like... uh, how insignificant I am to the Lord in in contrast with the Lord. I know he loves me and the significance I have is shown in what Jesus has done for me. But just how men are like dust, the scriptures say, and having that understanding, but then seeing that the Lord is intimately concerned with the decisions I make and the things that I do, and they have eternal ramifications Think of it, each one of us, if we've placed our faith in the Lord, that has eternal consequences that extend far beyond that moment where we say that prayer and the little spark of faith is there and and this Holy Spirit comes into us and we're regenerated. You know, your children, your family members, those people around you that that little decision holds eternal weight for them. And we see the things that the Lord calls us uh, to uh, give an account to him when we stand before him at that Bema seat. 
where we're given responsibilities. And when you read that picture, you look at it, it's almost as if we start with all of these crowns and we kind of, or these rewards, and we lose these rewards if we're faithful or not faithful with them. Almost like we start <laughs> with it, the weight of blessing and abundance, and then it's up to us whether we're keeping them and being faithful in what the Lord's called us to, or we're giving them up by our unfaithfulness and the things that we've missed. Now, the Lord, uh, he's merciful, kind, gracious, compassionate, you know, but at the same time, there is this weight that we should have, this desire to stand firm in the things that the Lord has given us, uh, the, the precious treasures that God has bestowed upon us. As parents, we have our children. The Lord says they're a blessing from him. Uh, blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them, right? You read Proverbs 31, their children rise up and call the, the mother of the house blessed. All of these things that we have responsibility, the work set before you. We had a, an awesome night last night. We did our little homeschool co-op. And it was about whatever you do, do is unto the Lord. And we kind of focused in on work and on um, we did mock job interviews. It was a lot of fun. The kids did great, by the way, for those parents who had their kids here and everything. It was it was really neat. I, I interview people as part of my job at work, and so I sat down and, and put these middle schoolers, and even uh, Jan and Wilder, these two nine-year-old kids, nine and ten, um, put them through a job interview, and, uh, and they did awesome. But, uh, you know, we... We uh, talked about how everything that we do is supposed to be for God's glory and that God has put all of these things in place before us and he calls us to be faithful to him in all of these, these seemingly mundane and little things that we have before us. But at the same time, how we see that our conduct before the world if we're doing well and we're being responsible with what the things has give, God has given us, it adorns the doctrine of God, the scriptures say, where it's that, that beautiful jewelry and, and the icing on the cake of the truth that God has established in us, in our hearts, in our lives, that as we're being obedient to him, that's that beauty, that attractiveness that is presented to the world about walking with the Lord and the salvation we have, that uh, that by our faithfulness to the Lord in these small things uh, around us, that that can turn the hearts of men towards him. That, that uh, it's by our, our good works before the world that they um, can be turned to salvation. It's our witness and our testimony. We know these things, but I think sometimes we, we kind of walk through our lives without really, really grasping the significance of what we're doing and being faithful to him in even just these small things. But we have greater things as well. Right now, again, like I said, we're kind of facing, we are facing difficult times. Um, we don't know what's going to go on with the economy. Uh, inflation's all over the place. Uh, you know, we have uh, our governor and our president who like to boast about how great our economy is going right now, and yet our gas prices are way up. Most people are, are running into a lot of problems covering their utilities. Um, you have uh, issues with uh, all sorts of things. And, and we see 
you know, the stuff going on with the food factories and, and uh, transportation and all of these things where our nation is, um, whether you believe it's uh, designed to fall apart this way by men or just trust and know that it was kind of designed to fall apart this way by the Lord, um, you know, th- these things are happening nonetheless. But we, there, we're going into a time where we as Christians uh, will be tested for our faith more and more because the things that we've trusted in, uh, having a good steady job, being able to pay your mortgage, your rent, covering your utilities, being able to get food for your family, that there's a big question mark about whether that's going to continue or not, where we're going to be at a place where we've kind of been able to rely on our own flesh for a lot of things, and we're going to be at a place where that's going to be ripped out from underneath us. Um, We don't know what's going to happen prayerfully. Hopefully the Lord comes before it gets to that point, but we don't know. But as we enter those trials and those things, as things fall apart more and more around us, uh, we as Christians need to not lose our perspective on what matters. It's the eternal things that matter. Yes, it's scary. Yes, it's easy for us to kind of lose that perspective and to say, Lord, I I don't know what I would do in that case, and and to kind of freak out and say, well, maybe I need to go and buy property in another state, and I'm going to go move my whole family out there and going to set up this little commune there, and we're going to live, and we're going to suffer through it, and we're going to make it, and I'm going to hoard all these things for myself. Uh, No, that's not what the Lord calls us to. The Lord calls us to be faithful and to trust him. What what does Jesus say? Seek first the kingdom of God. All these other things, and he's not talking about these big, difficult things that he's talking about. He's talking about food and clothing. All those things will be added to you. Seek the Lord, right? Uh, we're, We're called to commit our ways to the Lord, to trust in him, to walk in him. How we react when things are ripped out from underneath us is one of the strongest and biggest testimonies that we'll have before people as they see that. Um, Because, again, it's a testimony of the faithfulness of the Lord. Now, you may be going through something very difficult. I know that there's like health issues like we prayed for Steve about and other things going on in people's lives, and maybe you're in that place already. But, again, the Lord's called you to be faithful to Him, to walk with Him, to trust in Him, to not lose perspective, to be anxious for nothing but in everything through prayer and supplication. Make your requests known to God, and the God of peace uh, will give you that peace. Um, And he will walk with you in that and give you the strength to walk through it. Uh, He's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us all of those things. But we need to walk in obedience to him. Let's go back to Jeremiah Zedekiah, he did not listen, and he fled, being the weak man that he was, he fled and went out, rather than listening to the Lord, and in going out, uh, he almost got free, they made it to the plains of Jericho, and if he got across the Jordan, he could have escaped down to Egypt, Um, and he almost made it. But again, the Lord, he had prophesied 
Zedekiah, I've set a snare for you. You're not going to get free. And it was on the border there that that uh, the armies of the Babel, uh, the Chaldeans that they uh, captured uh, Zedekiah and and the men with him, and then they brought him there um, to be judged. And uh, I was listening to Dave Guzik uh, the other day, and he was teaching through this. Um, and I had not heard this before, but he shared that for the Assyrian kings, what they would do to punish an enemy king is the Assyrian king himself would go up and would gouge his own, gouge the eyes out himself of this king. Um, we don't know if the Babylonians did that, but it does say that Nebuchadnezzar gouged Zedekiah's eyes out. Um, and what we read there. Uh, what we read in some of the other prophecies is that it will. It says that Zedekiah will see Nebuchadnezzar face to face in his judgment. And I mean, if you think of that, the very last thing that he sees is his household being killed before his very eyes, his sons being slain, and then here's the king who had done it to him that the Lord gave him every chance to surrender to him, and his eyes are gouged out. The pain and the burning and the loss of vision, and you have to wonder what was going through Zedekiah's mind. If only I had listened. If only I had obeyed. If only I had listened to Jeremiah. If only I had made the right choices. If only I wasn't a weak man. You guys, uh, there is a weakness in people today, an unwillingness to stand up for what's right. I mean, we see it. It's a symptom of our culture and our society. How many stories have we heard about recently of, you know, a lady on her own getting beat up by teenagers, people filming it and not doing anything, you know, people getting raped and and other people watching and and having every opportunity to do something and they don't. Uh, And, you know, maybe it's not even weakness in that part. Maybe it's just full on wickedness. Uh, that they don't care, but at the same time, there I think there is a lot of weakness that we see around us. People unwilling to stand up for what's right, but we are called to stand up for what's right. Again, we have every responsibility to do that, to do uh, what God has called us to. We have a responsibility to pray for one another. We have a responsibility to the church around us. 1 John 5:16. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask, meaning he'll pray for him, and he the Lord will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. We have a responsibility to our brothers and sisters to pray for one another. We're called to help one another physically. First John 3.17, whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, his brother in need, and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Right? We're called. Now, this is not to the world. If we can, and there's opportunities, and the Lord leads us in that direction, we can care for people in the world. We're not called to just be like, no, you're not a Christian. You can go off. I don't care. That's not what we're called to. But at the same time, the emphasis that we see in the Gospels, in the Scriptures, is that we care for the men and women in the body of believers, that we should have no hesitation to help, to be with them, to support them, and and to show God's love towards them. Jude, chapter 1, 
Verse 22, well, there's only one chapter in Jude. Um, but verse 22, it says, I know some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. That's talking about men and women in the church who are in sin, who are going the wrong direction, and that we're called as believers to help them spiritually. On some, it's supposed to be this gentle, compassionate brother, sister, I love you. This is, you're, you're, you're being disobedient to the Lord. Look at the end result of the way you're going. The Lord has said you're not supposed to be doing that. You need to repent. Come back to the Lord. There's forgiveness with him. With others, what does Jude say? Save them with fear. Brother, knock it off. Stop doing that. You're putting your family's life in danger. You're going to lose your house. Ultimately, you're stumbling your children by what you're doing. Sister, don't play around with those spiritual things. You don't know the demonic things behind it. You're being foolish with what you're doing. We're called to have both sides of that as Christians, as believers. The compassion, the gentleness, but at the same time, the strength, the conviction, rebuke. The very word rebuke, we're told to rebuke. Pastors are called to rebuke. That's part of their ministry, is to rebuke. And a rebuke is not a soft, kind, small, gentle, hey, brother, that's not really that great of an idea. We don't say no here, but maybe you should think about it. <laughs> that's not rebuke. Rebuke in its very nature is harsh. It's discipline. It's chastisement. It's sharp is what it says. That's rebuke. We're called to do that to one another when it's necessary. Now, we're called to do it in love, out of a loving heart, not prideful, not in anger, not in bitterness, but out of love for one another. We're called to do that. Others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. See, they're in the fire already. That's what it says. They're in the fire. And we're there and saying, brother, don't go there. Pull them out. Snatch them out. Don't hesitate. Speak up. Listen to the conviction of the Lord and the Holy Spirit. There are many times where I think I look back and I kind of have some regret about uh, how I've acted in certain situations where I've known things that are going on with people and I've not said anything for various reasons, fear, my own pride, sometimes just not really wanting to get involved at the time. But I look back and I say, Lord, uh, forgive me for those times. I pray that if there's opportunity again, that I would have the strength and the, the conviction of the Spirit to do what you've called me to do in those situations. Um, and we're called to do that with our brothers and sisters around us. Second Timothy 4.2, I talked about the pastors. They said, it said, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. So there's the patience and there's the coming alongside and working with them. But there's that convincing, meaning don't let it up. Convince them. Don't just say it once and let it be. Convince them. Rebuke, there's that word. Exhort, continually 
teach them, exhort. Uh, Titus 1, 13 through 14, this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply. He was talk- Paul was talking to Titus about how the Cretans are always lazy and gluttonous. And he says, for this reason, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. You guys, sometimes we need that. We need that. We need as Christians to be willing to respond to rebuke, to be willing to hear correction, to be willing to to receive the pain, the burn of the rebuke that comes sometimes, and to take it to the Lord and say, Lord, if this is true, teach me in those things. Lord, teach me to be humble, to not push back against these things. Titus 2.15, again, he's told, Speak these things and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. That's the calling of a pastor, of an elder, of a leader in the church. Now, they're hold to account, held to account as well. We know that uh, the word says if anyone desires uh, to be a pastor, desires uh, these things, they, they're also held to uh, this higher standard. In fact, it says, uh, yeah, let not many of you teach uh, because you're, you're held to a higher responsibility. But 1 Timothy 5.20, Paul tells Timothy there, and he says of elders um, in the church, it talks about this, this uh, when an accusation is brought against an elder, to not just take it on one person's word, but to let it be established by several witnesses. Um, and then it says, but the, then those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. So those who are elders and, and leaders and pastors in the church, there's this call from other leaders and pastors to rebuke them publicly about what's going on if, it's, if they're in sin. There's all of these things. We're called as Christians to have a backbone and a spine in the things that God's, God's called us to. And that goes both ways. Number one, for us to be that voice that is speaking truth. Salt in a wound burns, right? It's salty. It has that preserving, uh, but it also burns. Light in darkness makes your eyes hurt, right? But it also illuminates things around you. We're called as Christians to do that, to be that, to, to be willing to stand up for those things. But on the other side, we're also called to have a backbone and receive rebuke, to receive instruction, to receive correction. That's what we're called to. The Lord says that he corrects us as a father, corrects his son, chastens us, disciplines us. And we're called to receive it with joyfulness because of his love for us. And that's what we're called to as Christians. But... Uh, we see this very poor example with Zedekiah and Jeremiah. And we see that he didn't have a backbone. And we see the end result is uh, his house, his sons, killed before his eyes. All the nobles of Judah killed before him. His own eyes put out. He's put in bronze fetters, carried off to Babylon. The king, his own house is burned, the king's house. All the people's houses are burned with fire. The walls of Jerusalem are broken down because Zedekiah did not listen, did not have that backbone.
did not respond to the Lord. But we do see two men who had backbone, who had obedience to the Lord and trust in him. Verse 11 says, Now Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, gave charge concerning Jeremiah to Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, saying, Take him and look after him and do him no harm, but do to him just as he says to you. You think there were, I forget the number of years, I think it was four or five years that, um, maybe it was long. He, Zedekiah was king for 11 years, and it wasn't that many uh, years, but it was 30 months is that the siege of Babylon went on. But how many years did Jeremiah prophesy and say, hey, when Babylon comes, surrender to the king, surrender to Nebuchadnezzar, surrender to him. And I'm sure over the course of all those years, and they had some Jews who had defected, they had some that had already gone off into captivity. I'm sure they're saying, well, you know, if we listen to Jeremiah, then none of this would have been happening. And I'm sure Jeremiah, who's now an old man, uh, his name had come up over and over again. And we see the Lord ultimately stirring on Nebuchadnezzar's heart to protect Jeremiah. Just as the Lord prophesied earlier on in the book, says, I'm going to make you a bronze wall against this people. They're going to fight against you, but they're not going to prevail. He had that promise the whole time. That promise for him when he was in the pit, when he was in prison, when he was in the stocks in the street, when he was being struck by the prophets, when he was being mocked and ridiculed, when he was being betrayed by men who uh, acted like his friend. All of those things, the Lord said, you're going to be a bronze wall of judgment. They're going to fight against you, Jeremiah, but they're not going to prevail. And the Lord was faithful to that. We see that here where he's committed uh, says, says um, verse 13, so Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, sent, uh, I have so many names here, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, <laughs> Rebsaris, Nurgle, Sherezer, Rabmag, and all the king of Babylon's chief officers. Then they sent someone to take Jeremiah from the court of the prison and committed him to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shapham, uh, that he should take him home. So he dwelt among the people. He's not in prison any longer. He's not in the mire. He's not in stocks. He's dwelling among his people. It says, Meanwhile, the word of the Lord had come to Jeremiah while he was shut up in the court of the prison, saying, Go and speak to Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring my words upon the city for adversity and not for good, and they shall be performed in that day before you. But I will deliver you in that day, says the Lord, and you shall not be given into the hand of the men of whom you are afraid. For I will surely deliver you, and you shall not fall by the sword, but your life shall be as a prize to you, because you have put your trust in me, says the Lord. Ebed-Melech, he, we read in chapter 38, he was the only one in the king's court who saw what happened to Jeremiah and responded immediately. Because, we read, he trusted the Lord. He went right to Zedekiah says, Zedekiah, he's in this dungeon in the mire. He's going to die. There's no food in Jerusalem. There's no bread right now. And now you've thrown him in the prison. He's going to just die. Ibed Malach, he's an Ethiopian. Ethiopians, they're foreigners in Jerusalem. Had no access to the temple, right? Except for maybe that outer court area there. Not a place that they could go in and worship like the Jews didn't have the same status. It says he's a eunuch as well. 
there were eunuchs uh, originally were men who had been castrated for a reason. Um, usually it was caring for women in the king's court um, and everything. Uh, but over time, it evolved into just being a title. So we don't know necessarily if he was actually physically a eunuch or that was just his position. But either way, again, there's that other mark against him because the word of God says eunuchs cannot enter the house of God either. So here, Ebed-Melech, he's not a prince. He's a servant. In fact, his name, it's probably not even his real name. It means servant of the king. It could just be his title, some Ethiopian servant of the king. And here's this no-name no nobody who goes and defends Jeremiah, the only one. And he did it because he trusted the Lord. He had a spine and a backbone and went to Zedekiah, who did not, uh, and convinced Zedekiah uh, to stick up for Jeremiah and to send 30 men with him to go and rescue him. And the Lord saw everything. The Lord saw everything. And that's what we have as a promise for us as well. When we do what's right, when we make those decisions, those little things, the Lord sees, the Lord knows, the Lord cares. And there's a blessing and a reward for us. And we see that with Ebed-Melech. I think it's beautiful that we see. We don't know how they're there. We know the Ethiopians, they had their own kingdom and all of these things at the time. In fact, we saw with Solomon. Remember uh, when Solomon was in his heyday, uh, the Queen of Sheba was from Ethiopia, and she goes and she brings these gifts to Solomon and spends time there, and maybe this he was a kind of a leftover from that, or they had some diplomatic relations between the kingdoms there. We don't know for sure, but what do we see later on in the scriptures with Ethiopia? I think is very intriguing. We see in the book of Acts, um, in chapter 8, we see... Uh, it's Philip, right? And he's called by the Lord to go out. It seems like this random thing that the Lord is doing. It's all of a sudden, uh, it's an angel of the Lord appears to Philip and tells him, go to this intersection um, for I have something for you there. And uh, he goes and who rides up? An Ethiopian eunuch. What's he doing? He's reading the scroll of Isaiah. And, and it's this perfect divine appointment. That the Lord has. And I have to sit back and I, and I have to wonder, you know, was there a greater influence in Ethiopia after this happened? Because I'm sure Abed-Melech, you know, not being from that area, wouldn't stick around after the king's house is burned and everybody's taken into captivity and he's escaped by the sword, from the sword. And I'm sure he just made a beeline for home. We don't know. Maybe there was that long influence then afterwards where here's this man who says, you know, uh, I saw the God of Israel faithfully protect Jeremiah, and he gave me this promise. And maybe there's that testimony there, and that's where there's this faithfulness of the Lord that has this long-lasting effect in this nation to where now there are people there who read the scroll of Isaiah, the Hebrew prophets, and they're going and traveling and wondering about it, and this divine appointment. In fact, uh, in Psalm 68, 31, it says, Ethiopia will quickly stretch out her hands to God. This is a beautiful promise. Uh, the Lord, he had a plan and a desire, not just to work with Israel, but to save the Gentile nations. It was kind of hidden as a mystery to the people of Israel at the time, although they were called to be a light to the nations as well. They failed at it. 
um, but it was there. But that was the Lord's plan all along. We're a product of that. We're a byproduct of that. We're a byproduct of, uh, of men and women who faithfully trusted the Lord like Abed-Melech. And we can have fruit like that as we faithfully trust the Lord. We don't know what long-term effects that we might have as we trust him and walk with him and continue with him. And that's just it. It's just a call for us to have that relationship with him. We see his faithfulness in our life. I think I've said it many times over the course of us looking at Jeremiah, but the Lord says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And, that, and that, that's a requirement for us to just test him. Taste and see. Just take that step of faith. Trust him in these little things and see his faithfulness. And as you see his faithfulness, you see his goodness. And then that gives you an appetite for more of him, more obedience to him, more faithfulness with him and walking with him. And it's this beautiful picture. Well, we don't have time because we're done. But chapter 40, uh, if you didn't get a chance to read it before tonight, I'd encourage you again to read it and to look at it because it's kind of this continuing pattern of men who are put in place of authority and they don't listen. Um, with Gedaliah, you'll see 40 and 41. Dan will um, talk about 41 uh, next time. But, uh, you know, again, it's all about uh, humility before the Lord and really having your ears open and listening. For us, it's being in the Word of God. It's praying to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to walk by the Spirit. Uh, it's asking the Lord for guidance and direction in every circumstance that we find ourselves in. It's having the Lord at the forefront of our minds and our thoughts as we're going throughout our day. It's considering the things that he's called us to and to, to say, yes, Lord, I'll be obedient in that thing. And it's just, again, it's those little steps. And as we take those little steps, our faith is built up and we grow we're planted and rooted in him and we produce fruit um, and we become a blessing to him and a blessing to the people around us and, and we we uh, by nature become that which God has called us to be as Christians who are salt and light in the world who are showing the love of Christ to people around us um, by nature if we're just simply walking with him and following him it's it's not a difficult crazy, strenuous, here's the 12 steps to this. No, it's just obey the Lord, follow him, choose him. So let's pray.